Hey everybody, welcome to today's podcast show. My guest today is a new friend of mine called Brian Keane. Brian is a great guy. He's based in Ireland. He's the author of a best-selling book called The Fitness Mindset. He is a fitness and wellness coach and nutritionist. And uh, we're in conversation about his journey in this industry and how much the industry's changed, um, how COVID has affected this industry and him particularly during COVID, some of his own mental health struggles during COVID out of his awareness that uh, health and wellness and fitness is far more complex than just having a gym body, <laughs> which he has, um, but realized that he had to evolve away from that as the main emphasis, which is where he started 10 years ago, um, to realizing that a more holistic approach to uh, health and wellness and fitness was vital. Um, so it's a really fascinating conversation. He's a great guy, great energy. He loves people. He is so passionate about what he does, which I love about Brian. I think you're going to love this conversation. Enjoy. Hey, leave me a review or a comment or tag me in where you are listening or watching from and uh, enjoy the show. Thanks for being here again. Thank you. Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here with me. It is a privilege to have you on the show. Let's dive right in. I want to ask you, first of all, how you got into the whole fitness um, industry, if that's the right term for it. If my language isn't accurate, also help me with that about the space that you are in. Because I noticed from some of your social media postings recently, you were into competition bodybuilding at one stage, right? I was, yeah. I've done a, a, probably a lot of different parts of fitness. I think the fitness industry is probably a, a good description of, of what okay. I mean. Now, I, I'm a little bit more into the wellness and health side now yes. compared to what I was. But just to kind of give you a short synopsis, I used to be a primary school teacher. So I worked in London for four years as a primary school teacher. That was my original background. And I spent years studying to get my degree, got my first teaching job. And Paul, I'd say I was half an hour into my first day of teaching. I was like, this isn't what I want to do. I was like, you know, I was sitting in front of 30 kids wow. year three. And I was like, I don't think I want to do this. And, but I stayed at it for another few years, eventually, you know, got my ladder up against the right wall with what I wanted to do. And two years into teaching, I remember I came home that Christmas and my mom, I was telling my mom how much I disliked my job. And she was like, well, you know, famous question I've asked people since. I was like, what would you do for free? And I said, oh, I would work in fitness. I was like, I'd love to be in the gym. I was like, I'd love to do something like that. And she was like, why don't you go and do that? So long story short, I spent two years, got my qualifications in fitness instructing, personal training, sports nutrition, strength and conditioning. And for two years, I worked as both. So I did teaching during the day, personal training in London at nighttime. And then in 2014, I moved back to Ireland and kind of got set up from the get-go. I had no social media. I had no podcast. I had no name. I, no one really knew who I was. But... I was, was ambitious about making it work. And I said that if I didn't get this up and running in Ireland, I could always go back teaching. So it was kind of a what's the worst case scenario. But the reason I went into bodybuilding and competing in fitness modeling shows was partly a business decision. There wasn't that many people in my local area at the time. And I was working as a one-to-one -one personal trainer. And I wanted something that just positioned me above other people, just so people would know who my, my name and I'd be able to get some business from it. Um, and started competing in bodybuilding, did really well in that world um, in terms of competitions, came fourth at my first show, uh, won a pro card at my second show, which just means you can compete for money, um, and finished eighth in the world in Las Vegas in 2000. 2015 
and then I again a couple of months before that life took a complete different turn I know you know this my daughter was born same thing with with how everything changes when your kids are born I know you were so young when you had your kids um but I the world of bodybuilding for me at the time wasn't conducive to what I wanted to be as a father and be as a dad so I left that world and then over the space of a couple of years just wrote a few books started focusing on business and then in 2018 moved into ultra endurance so I ran marathon to Saab in 2018 which is six back-to-back marathons self-sufficient through the Sahara 2019 I ran through the Arctic Circle line um in February of last year I ran my first 100 mile race and yeah I've been doing ultra endurance stuff ever since so yeah, fitness industry, again, bit, doesn't sound like I have a focus on health and wellness there from the extremes, um, but they're only kind of a portion of what I do a couple of times a year, so I have something to train for. Uh, but yeah, that's the world I'm in now. How old are you now? I'm 33. And how old were you when you started the teaching job? I was 22. Yeah. So how did you know at 22, how did you know so clearly what you didn't want to do after, of course, you'd chosen it, and what you did want to do, how was that clear for you? Do you know? It's, it's a great question, Paul, because the answer is, it's, and I tell people this a lot, that it's a lot easier to know what you don't want to do than to know what you do want to do. And when it was teaching, there was a feeling that I got when I worked my first job that I'm not supposed to be doing this. And I had that all through my teaching career. And I liked, after a couple of jobs, you know, my last school I was in, I loved my kids, I loved the staff, I loved the job I was in towards the end. But teaching always felt like a job. It always felt like Friday I was getting off for the weekend, Monday I was going back to work, and it always felt like a job. And when my mum asked me, what would you do for free? I was like, well, I would do something in fitness. And fitness, up until this day, has never felt like a job. When I was one-to-one as a personal trainer, when I was working as clients, like when I used to take clients in the evening as a personal trainer and someone would hand me money, I'm like, I can't believe I get paid for this. And, you know, over the years I moved online, I'm still in the kind of fitness space with my programs and things that I do, and it still doesn't feel like work. It's one of those that I can't believe I get paid to do what I do. And it was a lot of trial and error, if I'm honest, Paul, with what I wanted to do. It just felt right like you're listening to that internal voice in terms of you know what feels right like it's only ever happened a few times in my life you know it's happened when I met my partner it happened when you know I quit my job and and made a go with this full time and it's happened in a couple of other areas when my daughter was born I felt like someone else from me was reborn and it's only happened a few times and I think listening to that voice and listening to when that happens is probably the key but on the front end if you don't know when someone's listening to this and they don't know well firstly ask yourself what you don't want to do you know if it's a relationship is it someone are you with someone now who you don't really want to be with you know if it's a job are you in a job that you don't really want to do and start with that and then progress onwards so 10 years in it's a long time to stay in the space you've been in and what you've done is not stay still you've grown and increased and involved and the influence has grown and so on so what has motivated you throughout that time and i also am interested in how has your motivation changed? Like, what gets you out of bed now different to what got you out of bed when you first started doing this? Has that changed a lot? It's so interesting you say that, Paul, because it was actually you that made me flip on this. When we were having our discussion on my podcast, I was telling you that I was struggling with things like anger. And my anger was never turned outwards. I never projected my stuff onto people. It was always turned inwards, you know, and that's what fueled me in the beginning. And it was really helpful up to a point because when I was trying to get a business off the ground, when I was trying to do these bodybuilding shows, when I was trying to do these races, 
using that anger and fuel from inside of you know negativity from people who were close to me that who should have been supporting me who I felt didn't you know negativity from people on the outside I used all that to fuel me and it motivated me but like everything you know I think of motivations like you know anger is, is like fire you know it's brilliant and can light up your house and get you going but it could also burn you burn it down and that's where I was getting to that point. It was funny when we had our conversation, you're like, maybe you need to change your language around that. And I'm like, well, that's, I was like, yes, I do. I was like, I, I need to reflect on this. You know, I've listened back to our podcast three or four times because I get something different each time. And my motivation has changed over the years because that fueled me in the beginning. But I've been trying to let go of that for about 18 months. And it's just it, because it's not serving me anymore. It's, it's gotten to the point where that motivating tool just doesn't help me now. And at the minute, my motivating factor is waking up every day feeling excited about what I'm doing. You know, the conversations I'm having, the people that I'm spending time with, being very clear on my priorities. You know, I spoke, we spoke just before we talked, went on it, started recording about, I was away for the weekend with my family. And like, that's priority number one, my family, my partner, my daughter, my parents, my sister, like people who are the closest to me, they're my values and making sure that I'm spending quality time with them now is the thing that motivates me so a lot of the decisions I make are is this helping me become a better dad is this helping me spend more time with my partner is this giving me freedom so that I can meet my mum for coffee or for lunch and I'm that's motivating me now so that's changed over the years and I think that's a natural thing as you reflect and go through different things are going to motivate you at different times and just checking in with it regularly is key so it seems to me that you know you started when we talked about fitness industry my language it seems that that was the front end of what you did was the fitness aspect of this, but you have evolved yourself personally, therefore your business to more wellness end of the spectrum, which I think is really interesting because um, I'm going to put this podcast out in the month where I'm um, relaunching, releasing um, a course I did online, a video course called Aging Well. I put it out when I was 61, three years ago. And because I realized that I was aging well, but I'd never spoken about it um, because I'm not in the fitness industry. So I thought it's not from, I, you know, I'm, a, I'm whatever I am. I'm a motivational speaker. I'm whatever personal development. I'm not this fitness person. So I didn't speak about it. Even though I knew I was aging well, I thought it's for people like you to speak about that. And yet I realized that aging well was far more complex than just pumping iron every day or going to the gym. And I realized that, you know, the emerging generation, including mine, were becoming much more conscious that aging well is much more of an art than just a science. It's much more to do with, as you just said, internal wellness, what matters to you the most. So the aging well course I did was to do with aging well physically and mentally, emotionally, relationally, which is a space you've come to by the sound of it at this age and stage of your life, right? Yeah, 100%. And it's funny because fitness has always been a huge part of my life like i've you know been doing push-ups and pull-ups since i was seven or eight years old like i've always been into it. it's funny because my daughter is six now and she's obsessed with fitness like how many pull-ups can she do like it, it's so funny that there's obviously something in the genes um but i was it, it's been a huge part of my life i started lifting weights at 13 joined the gym at 16 and have been consistently training ever since it's, it's a huge part but that wasn't fixing my problems per se in terms of the aging well element like it's all well and good looking a certain way and yes training and working out makes you feel better about yourself more confidence etc but it wasn't until i started turning things inwards and getting very very clear 
on my value system and what, what's valuable for me. Like one of the problems I had, Paul, when I was in the fitness industry, quote unquote, before I did any sort of transition into mindset or wellness was I had a lot of junk values is what I call them in the sense that, you know, how I looked was my value. So I had identity and I know you talk about this labels are for food foods, you know, but I had labels and my identity was wrapped up in a fitness person. So if anybody challenged that, I used to get really defensive or really aggressive back at people and it wasn't until probably my daughter was born and then a little bit after that I realized, well, I've got this ridiculous junk value. I'm like, what difference does it make how I look? And why am I giving other people the power to make me feel a certain way based on what they say about how I am or how I look? And it's constantly checking back in with that and making sure that, you know, you're not making those junk values. Like, I'd love to be like, that's the only time I've ever done it. I did the same thing, Paul, in 2017 when I started making really good money, for, like for the first time. 2016, we had a really good year. 2017, it exploded when the first book came out, The Fitness Mindset, and then programs, and we were online. And I was putting all my money into, or all my self-worth into how much I was making. You know, and the more money I made each month, I'm like, yes, pat on the back. And I was like, six months after that I was like I have another junk value I'm like what difference does this make I'm like and you know outside of a certain point obviously you need a certain amount to live but like your happiness level doesn't go up you're just on this hedonic treadmill where the number keeps rising it's the same as the number on your body fat levels or the number of muscle you have or when you step on a scale or whatever it is it's just a number and like numbers are infinite like you put your happiness into numbers good luck because it's infinite you're never going to hit that target and it wasn't until I pulled that back and realized that, you know, I need to start working on myself internally did things start to change. And that's a constant process. You know this, Paul, you're still doing it now, you know, and I look up and, you know, hearing you and your message and your content with the podcast and Instagram, like that inspires me because I'm like, well, never stop learning, never stop asking the right questions because the answers keep changing. Um, and I'm just doing that consistently now and not getting it confused with fitness or how I look or things that were once, you know, or I could label now as potentially junk values without the labeling side. For me, it's the language I use um, and just focusing on, you know, what I, what's truly valuable, you know, your, your authentic self or whatever language you want to put on it. I think that's, it's been helpful for me anyway. If it's helpful for others, brilliant, but that's definitely what I do. I think it's brilliant to find out what you're describing now earlier in life than probably I did in my journey at 35 now and somewhere in the last 10 years or maybe earlier this awareness that there was more to life than what first drew you into this industry. When I look at your posts, listen to your podcasts, um, two things strike me. One, how brilliant you are. You seem to have a forensic intelligence about the Q&A stuff you do. And there's still people ask you, I'm like, what the hell would, how you'd answer that? And you don't struggle, don't stutter. You But your answer is not conventional. To me, you're answering it I know now with that more holistic mindset that you're answering people who are looking often for a one-size-fits-all formula from you to get this amazing body, you knowing full well, you've been there, done that, got the t-shirt, and there's much more to it than that, and you don't want to sell people short by not telling them that extra bit too, and I've picked that up in the balance that you bring in your book and in your, even your Q&A that you do from your car. I think it's brilliant. Um, so aging well um, what would that mean for you now going forward? So to figure out what you've figured out now at your stage and age of life is brilliant. Do you feel this is mattering more than ever now to the people that you are speaking to, to your followers, the people you influence? I can't speak 
directly to that in the sense that I'm very aware that the content I put out is going to be an interpretation based on the bias and the lens that people have of their own life and what they see. So what I put out, I, I'm always very mindful that it can be interpreted in several different ways. You know, my mum used to always tell me, you know, you're not everyone's cup of tea, but you're someone's shot of whiskey. And my message, same as everybody's, can be interpreted that way. Some people love it, some people hate it. I'm not attached to either. You know, I don't get too highs on the high and I don't get too lows on the low. Um, but that largely comes down to being clear on what's important to me. You know, I've said regularly on podcasts, you know, and you can edit this out if, if you need to language-wise, but I'm like, as long as my inner circle and family don't think I'm a dick, I'm like, that, that's, that's the most important thing to me. You know, it's so well and good having X amount of Instagram followers, Y amount in the bank, Z amount of podcasts or books or whatever, but I'm like, none of that matters if my mum doesn't like me or if she's not proud of me or if my daughter doesn't get on, get on with me or my partner hates me. Like, they're all things that once I got clear on and aging well for me is constantly nourishing those relationships. You know, I don't want to go to my grave, you know, if I'm God willing long enough to live to 97 years old, I don't want to go to my grave thinking that those relationships, I didn't do everything I could to make them brilliant. Like, it's, I love what I do, Paul. I love the podcasts I record. I love having conversations with people like you. I love writing books, creating programs, courses. But at the end of the day, none of that matters if I go to my grave and my relationships with the people closest to me are shit. So I, 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 that's my North Star. So I don't make, I make decisions in the day-to-day -day that map to that end goal. And for me, aging well is being consistently mindful of that. And if you fall off track, get back on and remind yourself of it again. And I hope I tell my inner circle to keep me accountable. You know, my partner is brilliant for this. Like if I'm if I'm ever overworking or doing too much and not prioritizing or I'm not present, like my, my mind can wander sometimes. I'm like, call me on it. I'm like, tell me, look, Brian, you're not here with me now. You're physically here, but you're not here. You know, my daughter's sick, so she won't do that and she wouldn't know. But I'll get my partner to do it. I'll get my best friend to do it. You know, I'll tell my family members they can do it and it's staying consistent with that you know it's nothing big like it's, it's small things added up consistently can lead to big results you know compound effect and I'm just staying mindful on that to do that for the next 30 40 50 60 years or for however long I get on this planet hey I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Brian and I I just wanted to drop in to say that I am currently re-releasing for a limited time my online video course called aging well it is about aging well in five areas of life, physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally, and generationally. It is over 11 hours of teaching. Details of where to get that is in the show notes, and I think it'd be a great addition to this conversation. So grab that while it's available and enjoy. Thank you. Has COVID been a surge in your industry? Has it been good or bad for what you do? I'm thinking of the whole Joe Weeks phenomenon and so on. Oh yeah, we were so lucky. Um, so lucky, like we were now just to clarify, it's very important to realize that look, you know, you know, this preparation meeting opportunity, but it's the way the cookie crumbled. You know, we were lucky in the sense that I've been online since 2016, 2017 fully, and we were able to pick up a lot of the pieces when COVID hit because people, I had people come through programs during COVID who never would have done an online program before you know i had a 61 year old woman on my last program who never would have used been on a program before that and so we got lucky but now paul if the internet falls out of the sky i'm in big trouble but we got lucky with covid and the pandemic because we were online so i think a lot of people who are in the fitness industry or who are understanding the online space more so than fitness 
did well during COVID. And again, it's, it's adapting. You know, the world is changing and you're just moving alongside that. Um, and we, we were lucky. But again, equally, internet falls out of the sky. Business takes a massive hit. So I'm very fortunate with the way the cookie crumbled, but we definitely got lucky with it. The other thing I like about what you do and, and say, um, and I was thinking of this the other day, over the weekend, I decided to film a video of me working out. Amazing. <laughs> no, I've seen yours and you've like, got it all rigged up. You're in that gym and you look the part, you've got an amazing physique and so on and so on. And it's really helping people as well. Um, but I'm very, I, I'm very self-conscious because I was very self-conscious trying to film it and I'm filming it myself because I'm embarrassed enough myself. Um, I, I, di I didn't take my top off. I had like a, a vest top on and so on because that's not the main thing I'm doing. But I want, the reason I did it the way I did it was, and I just did it outside my office here on the patio. And I thought Brian would appreciate this because I get, I get the sense of this in what you say to people. It's not about, is it having gym membership, having a personal trainer, um, having all the gear. It's really not, that's not necessary, is it, to stay well, stay fit, to age well. And I know you've talked about that, but I think people see you and see your videos and think, wow, I can't do that. Um, I don't have the time. I'm embarrassed. I'm too self-conscious to go to a gym and so on and so on, especially for an older person. What do you say to people like that? Because I think mine would give people hope because all, all I've literally got is two dumbbells. That's it. And I know you know that that's enough sometimes and just walk every day and so on, right? That's loads. Like, I would even argue you don't even need the dumbbells. Like, wow. body weight works for a lot of people. And also, the underestimating the role that nutrition plays is something that a majority of people do. Like, I've worked with so many people over the years who we've never done any workouts with. I'm like, here's your step count. I want you to hit 10,000 steps today and we'll adjust to nutrition and then weight will fall or fat loss will fall dramatically, you know, based on a starting point. You know, I, I, what I like about workouts and I, th I know I fall on the opposite end of the spectrum as a fitness guy with this. Like I work out from my head. Like it, it's, it's purely for me, the endorphin hit, it balances me out, it grounds me, it makes me clearer when I'm thinking, when I'm making decisions. I get clarity on my runs or my workouts. I don't, at, I'm at a point in my life where, yes, you want to look well. And of course, you know, it's important for, for me. I want to be attractive, attractive to my partner and vice versa. But like, I don't really care too much. Like performance and for my head is the importance. And I think if only people wanted to work out for that, it's worth it. But if your goal is, you know, body composition or losing weight or losing body fat, you don't have to work out. You know, you need to be active. You need to be active, but maybe that looks like going for a hike or maybe that looks like going for a bike ride or maybe that looks like, you know, hitting a step count each day and then adjusting your nutrition. Like, you don't have to be super fit. And I put up a lot of workouts, not so much on Instagram. I put a lot of these on my TikTok where they're just body weight. They're, they're 10 minutes or seven minute workouts. I'm like, here, try this. You know, do this instead of running is one of the workouts I'll put up for people that have bad knees and bad ankles, you know, low impact exercises that they can do. And that works great for a lot of people. But again, nutrition plays such a huge role. Sleep plays a huge role. You know, your overall recovery, your stress levels, how you feel. Like that's why, you know, your, your inner circle, your family, your friends, your job, all of these things play a role in your health and fitness and wellness. And they're not to be underestimated because the gym is brilliant for certain things. If you want to build a lot of muscle, yeah, you probably need to lift heavy weights, you know, or if you want to get a, a great release of endorphins, you probably need to work out more than going for a walk. 
but they're separate, you know, and I think when people, they get confused because they muddle it all together. They think they need to work out several hours a day or they need to, you know, eat salad and chicken every day to lose weight, you know, or jump on a bar diet or a shake diet or whatever, insert thing here. And it's just, you don't. Like, there's a few basic principles. Try and stick with mostly whole foods as much as possible. Try and get out for a walk and hit a step count or maybe do some body weight or dumbbell workouts like you're doing, like you're talking about, Paul. Focus on your sleep. Make sure your stress levels are moderately to low if you're enjoying your company and the people you're around and just do that consistently. It's nothing spectacular, but it adds up to a great benefit to people when done consistently. Yeah, it's that small steps over none, I think, isn't it? That we realize works eventually. I think people are looking for a big hit. And as you know, there's these crash diets, crash everything to try and get the overnight result that you took years to get. People don't realize you take years to get and still every day have to stay on it to stay in the shape that you are mentally and physically and emotionally. When you talked about looking in good shape for your partner, does she equally feel committed to this space as you? Is she also got her own version of fitness and health and so on? Yeah, she's really big into it, probably even more so than I am. Um, yeah, she loves it. It's, it's her life, like um, absolutely loves what she does. And, and the same as, same, same as me, you know, she's in the fitness industry as well. Um, has a quite a balanced approach to it, similar to me. But yeah, a, a lot of it, like she does, she does shows and bikini shows and she does the competition still. Um, and she, it's her driver, motivates her, gets her out of bed every morning. She's excited for it. And I support that and would support whatever she does. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a big part of her life too. I think it's something at the moment, Brian, for me, like 67% of my followers on social media are women between uh, 25 and 45. And I'm thinking of your partner and how much more complex is it for women in this space and women aging well and women battling things in their own bodies with regard to health and fitness and so on, different to men. Has your partner helped you help educate you about that to be able to speak to women in this space? Because a lot of women out there too um, want to have this part of their world, but their physiology, their biology is often not understood by a male dominated industry, which this has often been, as you know. Yes, definitely, because they're the conversations you're having every day. Um, so you're learning a lot just by normal communication. Even though that being said, I've worked with so many females over the years and my basis of clients, even from when I started in 2012, was mostly female. So excuse me, I was able to learn a lot. And, and women, like women's bodies are completely different from men. Like women aren't just small men. They've got the hormones, they've got, you know, based on age, obviously their, their, their monthly cycles, they've got loads of different things that are going on. And I think it's important for a coach, with regardless of gender, to understand that, you know, and not treat it as such. Like, girls are going to respond and females are going to respond to different things. Now, there's basics of weight loss and fat loss that are going to work for everybody, caloric deficit, you know, etc. But in terms of understanding physiology, it, it's important for any coach or trainer to know that and apply different rules. It's a little bit more straightforward for men, you know, compared to women, but it doesn't make it more difficult for women. It just means that you need to take a slightly different approach. Are you generally encouraged about people's attitude towards this now in the world or the emerging generation or not? Do you still feel people are not getting the memo that this really matters? Do you still think there's a disconnect between the physical side of this, the fitness, 
and what we talked about, the wellness internally. Do you think it's a more holistic approach people are seeing is necessary now? Are you seeing a shift? Um, yes and no. Now, I have a little bit of a bias here because people who follow me know that I'm going to come at it from the mindset side. Right, you know? right. Uh, so, that, so I have a little bit of bias based on what I interact with day to day on social media, questions I get asked versus when I go to a conference, if I'm speaking at a fitness conference and people are asking me things and I'm like, whoa, where did that come out of? You know, about a diet or about a program or about some misconception that they have. So I think there's a shift, but I also can't be categorically say yes or no, because my sphere and ecosphere on the internet, my tiny little space on the internet, people know I'm going to come at it from a mindset side and a holistic side. It's not until I'm out and about and I'm speaking with other people randomly in the gym or, you know, in, at a conference, as I mentioned, and I'll hear something and go, okay, that it's not shifting. So I think it just depends. But I think it's the most underestimated part. Like it was definitely the area I came at and it was one of the reasons the books did so well, particularly my first one, The Fitness Mindset, because that was the angle I came at. I'm like, look, here's how you get in shape, but here's how you get the mindset to keep it. I'm like, this, this is where my clients were struggling because they would come to me and they were, a lot of them were able to get into shape, you know, eating chicken, broccoli, rice, things along those lines. I'm like, well, yeah, if you eat that, three, four times a day and you work out, you're going to lose weight, but like, are you going to be able to stick to that? You know, so there's the sustainability element and then there's the mindset element, you know, where people will self-sabotage or they'll fall off track or worse, like me, as I mentioned earlier, they're papering over an insecurity crack, you know, by trying to get in good shape and thinking, you know, that's what's going to make them feel happy or that's what's going to make them feel joy. I'm like, no, like losing weight doesn't mean you're going to feel better. Like if you lose weight, the only thing I can guarantee is you'll weigh less on a scale. I'm like, you might not feel happier. You might not feel joy fulfilled, you know, like how you do, it's important as well. Um, so I think it, it's just getting people to consider that and flip their mindset on that and asking those questions. You did this brilliantly, Paul, just getting people to challenge their own belief systems, you know, based on what they've either been experienced themselves or traumatic experiences or misinformation on or offline. It comes in a whole host of ways. And I think just getting people to flip it and question things can be a very good starting point. Um, but hopefully, hopefully it'll start moving more towards this way. I know your content, although not fitness specific, always is, is, is doing that. Like it's relative, you know, you can apply what you say, like I'm a fitness person, you know, and we've, we've a large gap in our age, different backgrounds, but you say things that connect with me and instantly I'm able to draw it to my life. And all I'm trying to do on my side is something similar just in the fitness space. I'm, I'm, I'm aware of too many people I'm thinking now as you're talking um, that don't have any fitness regime as such and then go to the gym and get hurt. It's, it seems to me it's more common than, than people realize. And then that injury by overlifting or going with someone that is not guiding them, but is almost goading them to load up the weights and the dumbbells and so on. Then they get a sprain and a strain. And then they're out of action for a long time. And sometimes that injury actually is with them for years, not just, you know, the weeks it happened. And so I think what you do, you know, for people coming into this space newly, I remember a couple of years ago, I got sciatic pain and I didn't know why I'd done it. And I, I realized, I don't know how I became aware and how common this is, Brian, but I was standing up doing the, doing the bells. I had too much weight on them. And because I'm standing up doing pumping the bells, it seemed my spine was taking all the weight somehow is what I figured. I only know that's probably true because 
I stopped doing it. I sat down to do the curls and my back sort of righted itself after a week or so. So is that pretty common? Like people are diving in and getting injured and then switch off and think I can't do it anymore? It's so common. It's so really? mentioned, It's so common. funny you mentioned that, Paul. One of the things that came back to me so much from older people who read my book, when I say older, relative, uh, older in the sense of people who got into working out later in life, so right, 40, 50, etc. Yeah. Um, not so much biological age, but older in terms of when they started working out. And in the book, in the training section of that book, I talk about time under tension, tension so right. training, which go. is all about focusing on the form of the movement and loading the muscle for resistance. Uh-huh. Like one of the mistakes people make, I'm like, your muscles don't understand weight. I was like, your muscles understand resistance. And you can create that resistance with your body weight. You can create that resistance with a dumbbell. You can create That's that good. resistance with a barbell. It largely doesn't matter. And what happens with people when they pick up, and men tend to be worse in my experience than women with this, where they'll pick up, you know, as you mentioned, and start curling right. way too heavy. I'm like, well, you're not focusing on form. I'm like, the worst, best case scenario there is you're working muscle groups that you don't really want to work. Worst case scenario is you get injured. And that happens to so many people. And you can mitigate against that from a couple, a couple of ways. It's actually quite straightforward. It sounds obvious, but sometimes it's, once it's pointed out, you're like, oh, yes. Like, you, you focus on the form. Like, you make sure that your form isn't breaking down. So you look at a video on YouTube or you look at a video on my Instagram or someone else's Instagram where you're showing the technique and you try and mirror that technique. Like, I'm such a form person when it comes to form. It's just how you perform the actual So when you, mean, when, when you say form, you mean literally how you stand while you're doing the workout, right? And how you, the, the form is exactly how you're performing the movements. You might be sitting, you might be lying, you might be standing. The form is how you're executing the movement. So if you're doing, say, a bicep curl, like you mentioned, you know, your shoulders are back, your core is tight, you're standing straight, and then you're, you're focusing on tension on the muscle. So all you're doing then is, you know, concentrating and instead of swinging the weight, you're going slow, two seconds up, pause, two seconds down, and that's creating that resistance, which is going to give you a great body composition change it's going to strengthen everything you know you'll increase your metabolic rate which basically just means you boost your metabolism so you burn more calories while you rest and you're going to get all these host of benefits with that and you don't have to go super heavy first you know one of the quotes i have in that first book is leave your ego at the door you know i'm like that should be at that that should be in quotes in front of every single gym before anyone walks through it because it's about perfect form because if you get injured like you can't do anything, you know? Not only do you have to rehab it potentially or rest, you actually can't get any of the benefits of training. So it doesn't, like your worst case scenario or best case scenario, as I said, is you're not working what you're trying to work. The worst case scenario is you get injured and then nobody wins when you do that. And it's actually very easy to mitigate against, just make sure that you're doing the movements correctly, whether that's getting the trainer in the gym to show you, whether that's going onto YouTube or Instagram and looking at a video to see, whether that's recording yourself to see how you're doing it and starting with very light weight until you do it perfectly and then increase the weight. Whatever way you want to do it is just largely down to the person then. That's really interesting. The whole form thing. I've never heard that before. It makes so much sense to me because with an adjustment in the way that you lift the weight or whatever it is you're doing, as you said, means you can do it in longevity. I was doing, I was on my back, you know, pulling bells up for, for, for biceps, uh, for chest, for pecs. But I was putting my arms out too, like that, too parallel. And I got strained under here rather than bringing the arms in a little bit. So my arms out there and my, and I hurt myself and that took weeks to get over. 
form was not right, right? Is that what's happening there? That's exactly what happened. Either form wasn't right or the weight was too heavy. Like it, they're, they're going to be the two most common causes of injury is not executing the move correctly or going too heavy on the movement. What you feel about nutrition, protein shakes? I mean, I know the steroid industry is out there too, which I know many people listening to this wouldn't be at that level, but you've been in the industry in the past, of course. What you feel about all of that? I think it depends when it comes to say supplementation when it comes to things like I think for steroids it's a different talk you're, you're talking in that you're talking high-end bodybuilding high-end performance in powerlifting and I think if you want to go to top level and be a professional athlete for 5 10 15 years it's a decision you're going to have to make now I'm not pro or anti I'm very much a if it, if you want to do it go and do it you know I personally am a fan but I also have a higher value on my health than I have on, on that element. So, but that's just a personal decision. I'm very much live and let live, do what you want to do. With supplements then, it's a tricky one because nutrition is always going to be the bedrock. And I think if you look at supplements as they're meant to be looked at, as something that will supplement your nutrition, they can be useful towards helping you hit an end goal faster. Protein shakes for recovery, etc. There's good research and good science supporting them based on what you're training. But I, I also don't think you need them. Like, I think that's definitely a misconception. You know, can they speed up your progress? Yes, potentially. Can they and will they help somebody who's an elite level athlete playing soccer or rugby, etc.? Yeah, it's probably a good idea to include them. But for your average Joe, average Jane, who just wants to lose a bit of weight, feel a bit better about themselves, I was like, use them if you want to use them. They might help, but look at your nutrition. That's going to be the foundation of everything. And if you want to use supplements, then make the decision based on, you know, the coach you're working with or the program you're on or, you know, evidence-backed approach. I know everyone's not going to be streaming through the research like I am, but, you know, go towards somebody who will filter that for you. You know, I talk about the supplements I like all the time because I do the, I read the evidence. Like, I, I geek out on that stuff. I love that. You know, where I'm like, oh, cool. This is what this study shows. And, you know, I think that's important. So very much down to if you want to use them, use them. Some work more effectively than others. Some are an absolute waste of money. Um, but also realize there's a lot of money put into the marketing element. So the ones that are sold as a silver bullet aren't true. And there's an old adage that if something's too good to be true, it probably is. And that's definitely the case when it comes to supplements. Yeah. Is there such a thing as a normal day for you, Brian, or not? In what sense? Well, what would be a normal day like? Is today a normal day? Is tomorrow very different? Is the things in your day that are common that are part of what you call a normal day in how yeah. you live your days? Yeah, it's quite consistent. Um, I normally I normally get up early, you know, at five or six, and I'll train. I'll always start my day by working out early, and I just it, it's more that it's it's done. It sets me up for the day. Do you have the gym at home, by the way? Is your gym at home? No, I train in the gym. I have a gym at home, so I was very lucky with COVID. Like I was able to do everything at home. Um, but no, I quite like traveling to my gym just okay. because. It gives me a bit of headspace. I listen right. to a podcast on the way. I listen to an audiobook on the way home. Um, so I'll work out in the morning. And then, Paul, I do all my creative stuff in the morning. So if I'm writing, I'll do it in the morning after I've worked out. If I'm doing a podcast, it's a solo episode, I'll record that. Or anything creative, I'll do first thing in the morning. And then I'll check 
in with the team, any DMs, any messages, any emails, anything we need to kind of stay on top of. Um, and then I'm normally off for a large chunk of the middle of the day. So then that's when I'll meet, you know, my partner for a walk or my mum for a coffee or my sister for lunch or whatever it is. And then the evening time, I'll finish off something like now or we're doing a podcast. I'll check in with emails. I'll check in with messages, make sure everything is ticking over okay. And then the evening, normally by six o'clock, I'm switched off. It's in recovery mode, family mode, hanging out with friends, whatever the day looks like. It, it's normally chill. Um, and it's normally that on repeat, you know, during the week, you know, Monday, Monday to Thursday, Monday to Friday. Um, and then weekends, I'm not even on my phone. You know, I, I don't bring my phone with me. I'm not on social media. You wow. know, it, it's family time. Like that's my, my family time. Like my audience know that if they DM me on Instagram, they're not going to get me until Monday because I'm not even going to be on my phone. I, I could do my weekly daddy daughter day with my daughter, just a day for me and her. And I don't even have my phone with me. So you can't even get me on those days for the most part. Um, and that's it on repeat, you know, pre-COVID. It's a little bit different during, obviously, with the pandemic and things closed. But more or less, things don't change. Like, I worked quite, I won't say hard, but consistently trying to get my life set up in a certain way. And then it's just rinse and repeat. Well, that separation from your phone and social media that you do intentionally is huge because you have such a huge following on social media you would think, I mean, people with a fraction of what you have are addicted to it and don't think they can be missing, but you with hundreds of thousands still put it down and don't engage. That's amazing. And that's for part of the wellness and the mental health thing, eh? Yeah, and being clear on what's valuable to you. Like, I think that, like, I love social media. I love, like, we've connected through there originally. And I'm very, so grateful for that. I'm grateful for the business and the life I've been able to set up from it. But at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's low down on my ladder of priorities when it comes to the things that are important to me. And that's why it gets its place and, you know, it, I'm not on it at the weekends. Do you have hobbies, interests? What do you do to chill? I watch a lot of sport. I watch, sport is not, yeah, sport is my, is my, is my kind of, my escapism. Like I'll watch Premier League, um, I'll watch GA. Like I like the Euros, I've been glued to all the way through. Like yeah, like that. That's my my escapism, and I read a lot. Um, I read loads. I I know, yeah, it's something that works well for me as escapism as well. Even though I will read a lot of business stuff, I will read a lot of personal development stuff. You know, like the, the the one you sent me over. Um, and and I'll read a lot of that. But but sport is my my chill, my escapism for sure. And you know, going forward now, the next I don't know ten twenty years. You just stay evolving in this same space, would you? Like what you're doing now, you do all your life. Is that your plan? Yeah, hundred percent. Like the thing I always come back to, and I've I've gone off on different things over the years. Like I've gone down the mindset route. I've gone down the S and C route with, with players. I've gone down the business side and helping people with that side. But I always come back to fitness. Like it's my it's the thing I'm most passionate about, and it's such a huge part of me that I'll always come back to it. And then it's just a case of evolving with the times and moving to different platforms and building different programs and courses and writing different books based on what excites me. I like that's my question. I come back to all the time you know what am I most excited about and then I try and follow that and as long as what I'm doing now keeps feeling that way I'll continue to do it whether that's 10 years whether that's 20 years whether that's 50 years has COVID been good for you personally in terms of your own mental health and wellness because a lot of people of course it hasn't been good for them do you know what Paul it if you asked me at the start I would have said no but it's very much a case of 
like you know this, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Very much. Like, I thought pre-COVID, I got a bit of a wake-up call on the first lockdown because I'd done so much work on kind of my mental toughness, mental strength, making sure I wasn't, you know, someone that suffered with anxiety and made some really bad choices in earlier life that led to some environmental depression based on making stupid decisions, all my own faults. And I'm always battling against that. And once I came to COVID in the first lockdown, I thought I was past all of it. I was like, my mental strength is brilliant. I'm so happy where my head's at. And then the first lockdown came and I struggled. I really, really struggled for about three months. And it made me think, actually, I'm nowhere near as strong as I thought I was, which is a good thing. Now I've came out the other side and you reflect on that. You're like, well, what are the true anxieties? What's coming up now? Is it fear? Is it uncertainty? Is it stuff I've been avoiding or you know, procrastinating and going against? Like, we're, we're, I'm brilliant at this, where I, if I have a problem over here, I'll go look over here because you don't want to avoid the, the real thing. You know, the, the Carol the Jungian quote, you know, what you most need is where you least want to look. And... COVID brought that up for me, which I'm grateful for now because I was able to deal with, you know, some of the things we talked about, some of that internal anger, anger that I was pulling inwards. I don't think that would have came up outside of COVID because I had too many distractions. I had too many things that pulled away from that when this is something I really needed to handle for something that's going to serve me for the next, you know, 30, 40, 50 years. And it's still a process. So now I'm out stronger. And I think a lot of people are similar. Different things came up for different people. Um, but I'm grateful for it now. But if you had asked me at the start, probably would have been a different answer. <laughs> well, I think you're a fantastic human, mate, and I love what you're doing, and I think you're brilliant at it. Listen, where can people find you that are listening to us today? And what are the range of things that you do for a minute and that you offer? Because I know you're not just doing one thing. I know you've got a range of things you're doing for people. Oh, thanks so much, Paul. I really enjoyed this. Yeah, if they want to go check me out on the podcast, the Brian Keane podcast, go listen to our episode. That's one that I've saved on our phone uh, or on my phone because I go back on it because you get different things. And one of those, I put it at the start of the podcast. I don't know if you listened to the introduction. I'm like, I was so yes. grateful for this conversation. Um, so, and again, same with this. Um, so the podcast, the Brian Keane podcast, um, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Facebook is all Brian Keane Fitness. Um, and then the website's briankeenfitness.com. We've got programs on there, mindset stuff, fitness stuff, etc. But uh, yeah, go check out the social media platforms, the podcast, um, or wherever you like to consume content. I'm on everything. So just pop in my name and it'll come up. That's brilliant. Listen, thank you for your time and being with me today. You are a great person, and I know people are going to get a lot out of this, especially in the context of this whole aging well journey. I think from about 40, I think when I hit about 40, to me, the free ride of youth was over. I suddenly started to feel an ache in my back, run up the stairs, I'm breathless. Around 40, I think, you have to start paying the piper, or you're just setting in to die and decay. Don't you think around 40? You're 35, so you got that to look forward to. You're already ahead of the game, mate. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I've got a couple of years. I've got a couple of years on it, so, so we're okay. Um, yeah, we've got a few more years for that, so uh, we keep doing what we're doing. And we'll come back to me in a few years. <laughs> yeah, we'll get back to you. Listen, great to see you. Thanks for your time. Take care, and we'll speak soon. My Bye. pleasure. Thank you so much again, Paul. All right, thanks, Brian. Appreciate you, mate. Bye. Well, thanks again for listening to today's podcast. I hope you found it beneficial. And uh, I know time is precious commodity for us all, but I would love it if you would take the time to write a review or comment. And above all, maybe subscribe to my podcast channel. Thank you.